You're remaining standing, which is good. We're going to turn to Hebrews chapter 11. Um, and as I was very uncertain about which direction I would go in the message, even as of 8 o'clock last night, this one is one that I feel confident that we need to hear this morning. And it's not merely from 11, uh, Hebrews 11.40. It's really incorporating the whole chapter. Of course, the liturgies had to get printed, so I've changed the title uh, and everything else. But this is the message that we'll have for us. Remain standing for the reading of the entirety of Hebrews 11. Now hear the word of our Lord. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. For by it the elders obtained a good testimony. By faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God so that the things which are seen were not made of things which are visible. By faith Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain through which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts and through it he being dead still speaks. By faith, Enoch was taken away so that he did not see death and was not found because God had taken him. For before he was taken, he had this testimony that he pleased God. But without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. By faith, Noah, being divinely warned of things not yet seen, moved with godly fear, prepared an ark for the saving of his household, by which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness, which is according to faith. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place which he would receive as an inheritance, and he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he dwelt in the land of promise as in a foreign country, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob the heirs with him of the same promise. For he waited for the city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. By faith, Sarah herself also received strength to conceive seed, and she bore a child when she was past the age, because she judged him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man and him as good as dead were born as many as the stars of the sky in multitude, innumerable as the sand which is by the seashore. These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, were assured of them, embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. For those who say such things declare plainly that they seek a homeland, And truly, if they had been called to mind that country from which they had come out, they would have had an opportunity to return. But now they desire a better, that is, a heavenly country. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises offered up his only begotten son, of whom it was said, In Isaac your seed shall be called concluding that God was able to raise him up, even from the dead, from which he also received him in a figurative sense. By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau concerning things to come. By faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of his sons of Joseph and worshipped, leaning on the top of his staff. By faith, Joseph, when he was dying, made mention of the departure of the children of Israel and gave instructions concerning his bones. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden three months by his parents because they saw he was a beautiful child and they were not afraid of the king's command. By faith, Moses, when he became of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he looked to the reward. By faith he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. By faith he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of the blood, lest he who destroyed the firstborn should touch them. By faith they passed through the Red Sea as by dry land, whereas the Egyptians, attempting to do so, were drowned. By faith the walls of Jericho fell down after they were encircled for seven days. By faith, the harlot Rahab did not perish with those who did not believe, but when she had received the spies with peace, 
And what more shall I say? For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah, and also of David and Samuel and of the prophets, who through faith subdued kingdoms, worked righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, became valiant in battle, turned to flight the armies of the aliens. Women received their dead, raised to life again, and others were tortured, not accepting deliverance that they might obtain a better resurrection. Still others had trial of mockings and scourgings, ish of chains and of imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, were tempted, were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and mountains and dens and caves of the earth. And all these, having obtained a good testimony through faith, did not receive the promise. God having provided something better for us, that they should not be made perfect apart from us. Our Father, we add our amen and our praise and thanksgiving to these that you have empowered with grace to walk in faith, pleasing their God. And you have rewarded them mightily. We now ask that the Spirit of God would press upon us this message into our hearts, into our minds, that we would follow after their example, that we would cling to Christ, that we would lay hope on the future, and that we might walk by faith and not by sight. And may the Spirit of God be pleased to give application to us individually and to us corporately, and we pray that you would be pleased now with the preaching and receiving of your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. A little over a week ago, I read a public post from a well-known American, reformed, post-millennial, Presbyterian, theonomist, speaker, and author, which said this, why so many posts on baptism? There are more important topics to discuss and act on. And then he went on to list some of those topics of national debt, cultural and political problems, and the national trajectory of our nation. I thought to myself, how low of a view church that he, this man had, and how high of a view of natural, national political success was valued in this comment. Baptism is a big deal, and to get it right will promote the very activity that will bring about the very fruit for national success through the working of faith which works in the gospel. We've got to get first things first. It's a subtle distinction, yet profound and significant, that we must maintain. And as I consider yet once again another baptism of a covenant child, of a daughter who I once baptized many years ago, my thoughts were drawn to this passage. Every child we baptize here is another piece. It's another building block in God's kingdom. It's another part of the growth. And said another way, they are the future of the church. I do not want to pit one against the other, but if you had to force my hand, I would say with great conviction that raising up our children in the Lord to be faithful servants of the Most High God is more important than any law we could labor to change or any cultural issue that we can address. Period. I consider these godly couples who are here and who are faithfully bringing their children forth to baptism, and we pray we'll faithfully raise them up in the Lord. And sometimes I wonder if they have any idea 
how important their work is and how great their responsibility is to raise these little babies up in the Lord to do something great for his kingdom. I consider those who are not yet married, but not only Sam and Jenna, but all those of the children here who Lord has appointed for marriage if we're training them up with such a deliberateness to give themselves and their lives and their talents and everything they have to God and for His glory and the advancement of His kingdom. I consider us older folks, and yes, I'm putting myself now in that category as I get pieces of mail from particular clubs that remind me often that I am now one of those old folks who don't have much time left. If we are maintaining, I consider, are we maintaining the right focus in life, walking by faith and helping these young ones understand what they have here and coming along their side to guide them on their way for the future of the church in Christ Jesus? So I want to draw from this passage a few thoughts for us to consider as we look to our future in the face of our present. And we press on toward those goals that Christ has laid before us, toward those objectives which we do not see, nor even realize in fullness in this life, but they are the essence of our calling. My message, in one sense, is primarily aimed to the young people here, the next generation, while at the same time with a view to us, old people, this generation, that will lead them to the inheritance that God has prepared for them in Christ Jesus, for the kingdom work here. Now I want to look at this passage and break it down into a few points here. And I want us to first of all see the vision of faith. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for. It's the evidence of things not seen. But it is a type of vision. In one sense, faith is the biblical doctrine of our future. Unbelief is always anchored in the present while faith looks at that which is unseen. There's an element to faith that is always has a future component to it. Unbelief is always anchored in the present. Doubting is always something we do when we're looking at the present. Why we worry, why we have anxious spirits about our present circumstances, why we fear, why we get discouraged, why we get depressed, has all something to do with the present. Because in those times we do not see in the eyes of faith, but we see with the natural eyes of unbelief. We evaluate things by how they seem not necessarily by how they are and the reality of what God's truth has given. Unbelief is the sight of the world. It's the sight of which an unbeliever, an unregenerate person, interprets life. It interprets life and sees the world in the present. And then it lives life. It makes decisions in life. It works its way out according to that kind of way that it sees. There was a generation in the time of Noah who lived with Noah in the present and in an unbelief. They did not think a flood was coming. Worrying and fretting over future possibilities that God has not revealed is resting in an anxious spirit in the present. Faith rests in the assured God's promises that he has revealed here. Whereas unbelief is always anchored in some element in the present. So while unbelief is anchored in the present, faith looks at the unseen future. It's like a vision of a sculpture 
When Michelangelo does not evaluate a slab of stone, but in the slab of stone he sees Michael or, or David. Faith is like the vision of a farmer who doesn't see an empty field in the spring, but he sees the full harvest in the fall, and so he plants seeds accordingly. Faith is the sight of one seeing unfolding possibilities in the light of God fulfilling his promises that he said that he's going to do. The faith of Abraham saw a glorious city, and so he left his own country. It was in his faith that he saw Isaac rising back up from the dead after he slew him because God said it was through Isaac that the covenant would be fulfilled. The faith of Moses saw the glory of a holy nation made up of the people of God, and it was his faith that he saw Jesus as the true Passover lamb. The faith of Joshua did not see an impenetrable Jericho. He saw a city would crumble because God said that it would do that. And so he acted accordingly. The faith of victors who in obedience to God subdued kingdoms in God's name. Verse 35 even points to the fact that saints saw not their own death and were willing to die, but they saw their resurrection, and so were so willing to die. It is faith that makes us fearless and believing and strong. It makes us conquerors even through death. Verse 38 says, And this because of this kind of people that God is making in Christ, this world is not worthy of them. Faith is a spiritual vision. Faith sees as the scripture reveals. Faith sees as the scripture reveals. It's not up to our imaginations or more fleshly desires to have a vision and then go after it. It's not carnal dreaming. We sometimes ask God to give us faith to accomplish whatever we think is a good idea. Faith is not wishful thinking. Faith is not dreaming. Faith sees the vision that the Bible reveals and then pursues that vision, even if the vision is not realized in this life. But do you see it? That's the question. Because faith is the essence to the Christian faith. The object is Christ. The essence is do you believe him? Without faith, verse 6 says, without faith it is impossible to please God. You have to believe that he is, and you have to believe that he rewards those who come to him. This is the life to which we are called. The just shall live by Live by faith. We eat and drink by faith. We do what we do by faith. We make decisions by faith. It is all with the view of Christ and the glory of God. That's how we live. It's the life that we're called to. It's a different way of life that is in the world. And if we do not live in the life and in the way of faith, we do not please God. We do not live like a Christian. But faith and future go together. We have to understand how that works. Faith takes the promises of God and he brings those promises into reality. Faith takes the promises of God and it brings those promises into reality. The promises remain in our present. Faith will bring those promises into fulfillment when one claims the promise by faith and gives his life to it. By definition, faith is visionary. What do you see in the future that orders your life today? Now, you don't have to be a, a visionary person. You just have to be a person of faith and read the word and know what he has said. 
And this is true for every person in this chapter. He was a faithful person, which means he had a vision of what God had promised. They saw something that God revealed to them, something that God had promised to them, and they trusted him on that promise to the extent that they gave their lives over to it. Even if the fulfillment would not happen in their lifetime. And how God calls them and his plan for them is the same as he calls for you. You will not ultimately fulfill everything in your lifetime. But you will fulfill it, or it will be fulfilled for you, in you, around you, and through you, to the glory of God, if you finish the race by faith. Young couples, what is the future of these children that we have baptized in this church. What is their future? You must have vision and you must have a mind for them or you will not raise them in faith and you will not raise them to faith. Now I hope this goes without me offending anybody. I'm not thinking of anybody. I'm not But young couples, your children are not like little puppy dogs. The little family pet becomes the well-beloved member of your family. And I've seen that approach to child-rearing. Young couple gets married in the church and they baptize them and they have children. They want to enjoy the children. And they enjoy the children like a pet. Because the the children is for them. It's their children. Oh, and how sweet. I want more. And look at this. And pretty soon they got a whole bunch of little pets. And while you certainly want to enjoy your children, your calling for your children is so much higher than that. A family pet is for the family to enjoy and love and appreciate. And certainly the child is a blessing while he or she is in the home to that degree. But a child is for the Lord. It's for the Lord's sake. He has a call for them. He has a call to them. And your responsibility for the short time you have in their lives is to train them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord for the labor and the service for the church and for his glory that he has called them to. And that takes a lot of work. I've seen people train their dogs more than they have their children. And it's no wonder that when the dog and the children have both grown up, that the dog is still well-beloved and the children have gone astray and are estranged. Folks, you have a great and a wonderful and a tremendous task in raising up your children with a vision of faith that God has given to you and to them. And all of this is going somewhere. And these little babies and these little ones here today, and the one, they're going to be the ones who advance the kingdom of God through the grace of Christ. So we have to have a vision of faith. We have to see those things that God is doing. We have to evaluate things, not as they presently are, but what he has promised that he's going to do through us and our children. That's the walk of faith. Well, that brings me to my second point, and that's the work of faith. Faith is an action word. It's not passive. Faith acts, and it moves, and it works, and it lives. It's an action word. And if you want a good definition of what life is all about, It is seeing what God has revealed to you and then pursuing it and giving your life to pursue it. Faith and good works. I'm not saying, not giving you the doctrine of how you're justified. I'm giving you the doctrine of how to live your life. You trust God and you are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto the very good works that he's called you and your children. 
A man of faith sees the promises of God found in the Scriptures. He believes God what he says, and then he organizes his life and his work and his activity and his energy according to the vision that God has promised. And it works. It works. It gets, it gets to work. It makes good decisions. It takes it seriously. It organizes the life, the whole life around these things. Noah saw a flood and he built an ark. Abraham saw a new country and left his old. Abraham saw a living Isaac, so he took up a knife to slay him. Joseph saw a new land with greater glory than Egypt, so he gave instructions to that generation so that the future generation would then take his bones out of Egypt into the promised land. Rahab saw a glorious people and hid the spies at the risk of her own life. David sought and saw a temple and set to work to build it. Saving faith never sits idle and is never presumptuous with God what he has promised. It organizes life around that vision. It sees, it labors, it toils, it runs the race with endurance. It never gives up and it never gives in. Faith sees a work as established and then goes on to establish the work. Whereas doubt breeds fear, immobility, inaction. Faith always acts with great courage upon what God sees and what God has promised. Let God be the vision. Let God tell you how it's supposed to be. And then you see it the way God sees it, and then you get to work so that you can see it realized. That is a walk by faith. Now it is faith that looks at the very present, but it sees what it becomes through the power of the Spirit working in us and through us. Unto that good work. Faith looks at the present and sees what it will become through the good works empowered by the Holy Spirit. That is why it is imperative that you do not evaluate life in terms of the present, but what it is becoming through your fruitful and spirit empowered labor. You can complain all you want about the present. You can complain all you want about your circumstances. But that would be unfaithful. It would be impotent. It would be uncourageous. It would be fearful. And it's a character of doubt. Or you can see what pleases God and what he has promised and get busy to do something about it, knowing that your activity, led and energized by faith and the power of the Holy Spirit, will bring about exactly the results that God said will come to pass. See, there's no reason to be discouraged. And let that discouragement drive you to apathy and impotency and complaining about the things that are and the way they are. And parents, of your little children, of your little toddlers, and of your six-year-olds and your 12-year-olds, you need to see the children for who they are becoming, not merely what they are right now. And these little girls, you need to see them as godly covenant women, as these little baby boys, as godly, strong covenant men. That's how you need to see them. And so get to busy right now working and laboring and praying and be diligent in their lives, making them become what God desires for them to be. That is a life of faith. 
Do you primarily see and focus on all your children's flaws, their lack of character, and their sins? Or do you see them for the godly man or woman that they are becoming through the cleansing and the refreshment of Christ and the gospel and the empowering of the Spirit? Where is your focus in your children? If you fix your thoughts on all the flaws of your children and throw your hands up and complain about their sins, you are not raising them in faith. Amen. If, however, you teach them the right way of life, how to love God, how to love and serve their neighbor for the glory of God, for the right purpose and end, then they're going to fall back on their training that you gave them in faith. I witness too many parents who presume upon God's promises and do not claim them by faith who rest upon the laurels of the labors of others and then presume that God will make it true in their lives without lifting a finger. Raising children for the Lord's service is very hard work. And I want to encourage you young parents to to get to the hard work. See it through. It will be fruitful. Parents, it will not be done if you do not have faith that works. See, faith will energize your labor, like building an ark and then calling your sons alongside of you who were given 20 years after the vision was given to Noah, after he had already set about it. He had 120 years and 20 years go by and then he has three sons who come along and join him in the ark. Faith is going to energize your labor. It'll be hard work, but the fruit of that work will come. It will come later, but it will come if you give yourselves in faith, believing the promises that God has promised, what he will give you, because he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him by faith. Do you believe that? Parents, my exhortation to us all is stop doubting and get to work. From the human perspective, the future of the church depends on your faithfulness and upon your children's faithfulness. Faith always yields good works and are done in a trust that God will bring the results and the reward for those who do those good works that he's appointed. So you've got to get the vision. That's how we see this life right here. And we have to get to work on that vision according to what God has promised right here. And then we have, lastly, the realization of faith. We have the vision of faith, the work of faith, and now the realization. It all comes together. We talked about this vision, how we see the future, and so labor now according to what we then see. We began to see what is established, what is promised, and then we get to work to realize that which has been promised. The present activity that brings about the vision through good hard works, empowered by the Spirit, motivated by faith. And now we consider the reality of it all coming together. Verse 40 says, God having provided something better for us, that they should not be made perfect apart from us. And the very first part of that phrase has to do with the, the, the place in the kingdom that we have, have now privy to, of which there is a, a better aspect than what those old covenant saints were seeing by faith. We are living in the reality of the kingdom in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But the focus that I want to draw your attention to in this verse is, is that last phrase, that they should not be made perfect apart from us. 
All of those saints that have been raised up and put as examples for us to follow and to commend their kind of faith in our own lives. This great cloud of witnesses which is surrounding us and, and like the big theater as we're running this marathon and we enter back into the, the Colosseum and then the crowd just cheers and roars and all those saints before us cheering us on to the finish line. But it says that they should not be made perfect or complete apart from us. And there's some mystery in these words that I confess. I think I'll speak in behalf of every commentator on my Hebrew, book of Hebrews on the shelf in my library. There's some mystery to them because they don't really explain it or they pass over it and they don't, they don't even touch on this. Or they explain it in a way that the scripture is not revealed. There's some mystery here. The Old Testament saints in this passage has been put up for us as an example to our own faith. They are not perfected apart from us. I want to be very careful. They are not perfected by us. It's only in Christ but there's something in their future that has to do with us contributing to their completeness. There is a corporate and a covenantal sanctification of the body of Christ where we are all in this together. And we have to see ourselves in that light. We recite a creed that's been recited ever century, since about the second century. We'll recite it in just a little bit. And I believe, and I believe, and I believe. And one little phrase in there, I believe in the communion of the saints. But how many times do we read that and we just think about this little group of 200 people fellowshipping around the table and having people over on Friday night and we believe in the communion of saints heritage or we think about going to presbytery and we're communing with the other saints that we can talk to and eat with but the way that that what we say that we believe is transcendent beyond the saints of this room the saints that we see it is a communion of the universal church, of those saints who have even gone before us, who are in glory, and that's where we come to Zion this day, even into the presence of those just spirits made perfect that have preceded us, and we commune with them as one. We're not a bunch of individualists isolated and separate from one another. Even in our sanctification and our progress of faith, we do not receive and ultimately fulfill the sanctification and the glorification that God has done in us and through us and for us. We don't receive this as individuals apart from the whole. As much as we have been brought up in evangelicalism in the United States of America and through some of the revivalism that's come out, very focused on individual salvation, we don't even know the term corporate salvation. We think about the elect as individual elect, and that is true, but there's also a corporate elect. When we think about the individual salvation, there is a corporate salvation. These two are not separate. They are always integrated into one. That's why you don't come individually merely to the table. You come with the table integrated, united into Christ as one. Not just one with people here, but one with people there. And one with the entire church universal. When we give the fencing of the table and the invitation to come, you often think about, do I have aught against my brother who's in front of me, who's beside me, my parent, my spouse, my child, my father? You don't think about the person you've got aught with over there in another church or who have already deceased. And you still have bitterness in your heart that you have not settled. See, all of this becomes a part of the unity of the bride of Christ 
in a corporate sanctification, in a corporate unity, a corporate salvation, brought together with these Old Testament saints and those who will yet come, in Christ we are being perfected and brought to completion and maturity in Christ, and we're a part of this whole. As Abraham looked for the future city, we who are in Christ today are that city of which Abraham is a part of. When David looked to build the temple, we who are in Christ today, along with Abraham and David, are that temple united in Christ. Part of what they are laboring for has come to pass in part in us. And these examples have been written so that we might understand the same principle. We who by faith today, just like them, labor accordingly to that which God has promised. And we are going to realize that in the future, in part through God working in our children, and our children's children, Exactly what God has promised to us and to them if we live by faith. Does that make any sense? We who see by faith today labor accordingly. We will realize it through our children and our children's children what God has promised to them by faith if we are faithful today to raise them in the faith. And it's all a work of Christ It is to God be the glory, but it involves us in activity and work. And our children's lives become a part of our sanctification. And what I don't mean by that is the very concurrent aspect. Our children always contribute to our sanctification. (laughs) We see our flaws in them. We raise them up. And surely they are a part of our immediate present sanctification. That is true. That's not merely. It's more profound than that. They are a part of the corporate completeness as they go on in the work of the Lord, laboring faithfully in the good work that Christ has given them. And what they are going to do to excel in those good works is going to work back to to us in our completeness when the fulfillment comes in Christ in glory. And like the Old Testament saints who are not perfected apart from us, we ourselves will not be perfected apart from our children and Christians yet to come. And yet their lives of faith in Christ are integrated into our faithfulness and good works. It is a corporate and a covenantal approach and understanding that the scriptures are given us here. Now, it all comes together in the end. Good works will precede some of those. Others' good works will come along after. But those good works, after they've been tried in the fires and they have come through and they're not the wood, hay, and the stubble, it is that which brings a completion to the work of Christ and his people for the great glory of the new heavens and the new earth in which we enjoy and we will have been built upon Abraham's faith and David's faith and your children's faith as well. Yes! Baptism is important. The discussion about baptism and all that it produces and all that it reveals is critically important to our world and the future world. Because there are promises. These are the promises of God. And the promises of God are revealing the future. And what we have to do is believe the promises of God and labor accordingly today so that that future will be realized in us and through our children. The future of the church rests on these very things because they give us the vision. They stimulate our good works. They will bring to pass the very reality of what God has promised and in the end it all comes together. We're all a part of the same 
temple building, which is God's creational project from the beginning. And if we see a glorious, victorious church, we're going to organize our lives around what God has revealed, and we're going to labor accordingly. We're going to make decisions today according to that faith. Faith will require temporal sacrifices and hard work in order to realize the future that God has promised. So he goes on in verse chapter 12, of which I will not go on except for this. He gives a therefore. This is the conclusion of what I just said. Run the race with endurance and looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of your faith. That is our sight, looking to Jesus. See Jesus in your children. See Jesus in your parents. See Jesus in your husband. See Jesus in your wife. See Jesus in your Christian brother or sister who you're struggling with your spirit with right now. Not counting the things that are in present, but looking what he's doing to bring them to glory with you in their future. See Jesus in the church. See Jesus out in our government. See Jesus in our culture. See Jesus everywhere because your baptism is what that is all about. Go change a law if you want to or raise your children to Christ so that there won't have to be a change of a law. It's going to be the way of life. Yeah. Your baptism and your children's baptism is way more important than cultural and political environment and what's going on today in America. If we're living faithfully, all that's going to be changed. If we focus on that at the expense of this, nothing will be changed, but only go into its continual further degradation and disintegration. And that is what the problem is. Because parents and children are not taking heed to the gospel of Christ and running the race with endurance, looking to Jesus to change it all. He is the Lord of every Lord, and he is the God of all the creation, and he is the king of everyone who rules. It is Jesus that's going to bring to pass what he has promised, and either you're going to be on board with it or not. Either you're going to miss it or not. But I trust that we embrace this fully and we will run the race. And one day we're going to have our prize because God says he's going to reward us. And I believe that. Will it happen in my lifetime? Not fully. Will it happen in my kids' lifetime? Not fully. Do I care about how things are going in the world? Absolutely. But what's the answer for it? The gospel. Christ. His lordship. His glory working in and through our children faithfully to be godly people, to have godly character, to have strong faith, to not fear what man can do, but to be obedient to what God has given us. Because when he returns, everything is going to be full and complete, and there won't be all of that fullness and completion apart from one another, and even apart from our children's faithfulness. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we pray that the things that we've heard here will not get distorted or maligned or misunderstood, but Lord, that your spirit would impress it upon our lives, that we would be faithful with the task and the stewardship that you've entrusted to our care, that we would see with the eyes of faith that which is becoming, and that we would not be so complaining in spirit about the things that presently are. But we are concerned. We look out upon the world and we see the degradation, the disintegration of, of our culture around us, but yet we see a sifting in the church which is needed to root out the idolatry and to bring forth those who are truly your people, the remnant among all of those false professors, to sift out the, the wheat from the chaff 
And we're seeing what's emerging as a powerful church, clinging to the truth, standing on the promises, and living by faith. This is the work of God in Christ. This is what Christ has come to do. And so we give you our thanks that you will bring to completion that which you have begun in each one of us, that you will bring to completion the ultimate victory over all of our enemies, that you will fulfill all of your promises with or without us, but with us, with great joy, we will receive those things. But without us, you will bring it to pass even to our judgment. How thankful we are that we are in your kingdom, that we have been taken out of darkness and put into the kingdom of light, which has been given the victory and the resurrection of Christ. <clears throat> now energize us, we pray, Spirit. Energize us. Energize us for the work that yet remains in the life that we still have. Energize these young couples to raise their children up, to love you, to serve you, to worship you, to give their lives diligently so that they would raise their children up to love you and serve you and to be of good character and have a hunger and thirst for righteousness and to be those who mourn over sin and who are meek in their demeanor. Lord, we pray that you bring repentance where we've been doubtful, unbelieving, unfaithful, where marriages are so focused on themselves and what they can get out of marriage rather than living it for your glory by faith of what it could become if they just labor according to the vision that you've given them for it. We're children who are going astray because of our negligence in their lives could be brought into the fullness of the bud of the gospel because of a repentance that we ourselves can give to you and cry out to God in their behalf in the gospel. Lord, we pray that you would do a mighty work at Heritage in our children, in our grandchildren, and we pray you would bring forth the, the fruit that you have promised and the vision that you have declared in your word. And one day, while we will not realize it in this lifetime, when you come back, we will see the glory of all that you have done, and we will give you all the praise and the glory with great thanksgiving. And we pray this in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen.